If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for March 15th, 2020. My name is John Ziegler. This is the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. As is always the case, I urge you to check out my other podcast, the Individual One Podcast, which more directly relates to the political news surrounding Donald Trump. This particular episode is going to have a lot of similarities, although not totally, uh, with that podcast because obviously the coronavirus has overtaken everything throughout the world and here in the United States. But you can find the Individual One podcast both at uh, my Twitter feed as well as our uh, website, which is freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. The last episode of the World According to Zig podcast we did on March 1st. That was two weeks ago. And uh, the day after we did that podcast, uh, I was um, startled to see that uh, MSNBC legend Chris Matthews had resigned live on the air from his longtime job as a host on MSNBC the day before Super Tuesday because he was being accused of having uh, told women that they look attractive. And that's apparently no longer okay in this uh, incredibly politically correct, bizarro world in which we now live. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because <laughs> when that happened, I thought, oh, okay, well, good. Uh, not good that it happened, but this will give me an opportunity to tell my Chris Matthews story, which is a really great story about that also relates to um, one of the more amazing stories of my childhood, which is the story of my mother's mule or donkey, I guess, donkey, Moses the donkey. Uh, and uh, I, this is an incredibly long and involved story that I've told bits and pieces of before, but it ends with Chris Matthews, me taking Chris Matthews to see the head of Moses the donkey because he had grown up with my mother in Somerton, Pennsylvania, where Moses was a local legend, and he had, like all the other kids, had fed uh, Moses at times, and he was speaking at a, a local uh, religious organization which related to my family and, and the land that they still own there in Somerton, Pennsylvania, and I was somehow tasked with 
with uh, giving him the tour of the town that he hadn't been to in quite a while. And including that was him going to my grandfather's den where he could see the head of Moses the donkey. And I thought, well, this is, this is a great opportunity for me to, to, to finally tell that full Moses the donkey story because it's one of the best, maybe top ten uh, of many, many great stories I have in my life. Well, that was um, 13 days ago. And since then, uh, holy cow. Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that event has been so forgotten that it feels like it happened two or three years ago. In, in, in a rational world, the media world especially, would still be talking about, holy shit, Chris Matthews not only resigned, but he, li he resigned live on the air, uh, uh, startling the hell out of MSNBC, <laughs> leaving most of the hours still left to go. Uh, they went to a commercial break, and they had to bring in a replacement from the, from the office. I mean, this was a... a a startling event with, with enormous ramifications the day before Super Tuesday, and we have now completely forgotten about it uh, since uh, that moment because so much has happened. I mean, since that moment, uh, Bernie Sanders went from being the front runner to being totally out of the Democratic uh, primary race. Joe Biden's going to be the Democratic presidential nominee, and the entire world and, and all of America is now completely and totally obsessed with the reaction to the coronavirus. And uh, the coronavirus, to me, uh, is, uh, like to everybody else, it's, it's a sense of, it, it creates a sense of enormous frustration and angst, but probably slightly different reasons for me than for, for most people, because I am someone who believes very strongly uh, in not setting bad precedents. I'm also someone who is willing and able to speak uh, the contrarian view of what everyone against what everyone else is saying not in a conspiratorial way but in a fashion that says oh wait a minute hold on what what do we really know here and and is what what we're doing and how we're responding does that make sense and we're now living in a world where uh, that's almost impossible to do especially in situations like this where you're not allowed to uh, say anything that in any way shape or form diminishes how we're supposed to respond to the coronavirus because if you do then you're pro-virus that that's that's where we are now you're, you're either against the virus or you're in favor of the virus and if you're not in favor of doing everything you possibly can to stop the virus you're in favor of the virus you cannot be serious and in this case that uh, situation gets exacerbated because you're not in just in favor of the virus you're in favor of somehow donald trump even though i'm a anti-trump conservative <laughs> as outspoken as anybody could possibly be, uh, that's the reality, that Trump is now inextricably linked to the virus. If you try to say anything that is in the realm of, wait a minute, hold on, are we possibly overreacting here? Are we possibly creating bad precedents? Are we possibly uh, creating really dangerous rules for how we're going to get it back, if ever, to normal life when and if this thing is ever over with? You are a bad person because you're going up against the virtue signalers. The virtue signalers are, oh my gosh, we must do everything we possibly can. And if you don't do everything we possibly can, then you are a bad person. And let me show you my virtue by uh, illustrating what a bad person you are for being in favor of some sort of semblance of maintaining normal life and uh, not overreacting. Uh, the overreaction, and I realize no one wants to take this position because it's a dangerous position, because if things turn out as badly as expected, then you are a bad guy. You are part of 
the problem. Uh, you're even part of the cause. You may have even caused people to die. Uh, that's why the alarmist position is so enticing and why it's so popular, especially in this age of social media. I've talked about this all the time, where uh, a convenient lie uh, is going to be much, much more popular than an, uh, an inconvenient or unpopular truth. Uh, no one wants to be on that other side. And so that's why when things start to snowball down the mountain, they have a, a, a momentum that's unstoppable. And we have seen it in the last few days with all of these cancellations, what I call a cancellation uh, contagion. I even wrote a column for Mediate, which hopefully you can find at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. If not, just Google it. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the cancellation contagion is very obvious. And it's not based in any, or not largely based in facts and logic. If it, if it was, it would all happen at one time. Instead, it happened piece by piece, bit by bit, domino by domino, because at, as each entity canceled, they lost, the next entity lost political cover. They lost the ability to say, hold on, um, you know, I'm going to do what I think is right here. We, you know, life has got inherent risks, uh, but no one wants to do that because there's no risk reward anymore. Because no one will defend you in the media. No one will defend you on social media. If anything goes wrong, you're screwed. And uh, as uh, the, you know, the, the college tournaments got canceled, the NCAA had to cancel. Uh, once the NBA canceled, <clears throat> the NHL had to cancel. Once the NHL canceled, the Major League Baseball had to cancel, even though the sport has nothing in common with basketball or hockey, and I believe could have gone on <clears throat> without spectators. Once all of those canceled, then golf, which had been planning on going ahead, and to me, golf is the smoking gun of, of proving that this was not based in facts, logic, or rationality. Because in the morning, on Thursday morning, golf says, okay, uh, we're continuing on with our premier event on the PGA Tour, the Players' Championship, uh, but tomorrow we're going to stop having crowds. But we're going to keep going on because we think it's safe. Then, a few hours later, they change their minds. Why? Nothing changed. Nothing, no facts changed. Nothing changed about the facts. What did change was they lost political cover. Because now they were the only ones left. And a couple players started to whine, and they were going to have a revolt, and no one was going to support them. And so now they needed to pull the plug. And once the Players' Championship pulled the plug, then guess what happens the next morning? The Masters pulls the plug. Because now the Masters has no political cover because even the PGA Tour is stopping play. Even though I believe that the Masters could have gone on without crowds. I mean, it, I mean, it makes no sense to me at all. There is there is no sport that is has less uh, close interaction. You know, this this whole uh, social distancing thing. I mean, golf was in, is within the guidelines of social distancing. It's partially why I like golf. You don't have to deal with people. <laughs> you can do it on your own. I mean, so and and you could easily by this point, by the time the Masters came around, you could have had testing. You could have tested everybody, like Rory McIlroy wanted everyone tested. You could have tested everybody, caddies, players, what have you. You could have had the damn event, and it would have had enormous benefit in keeping some semblance of morale, something for people to do, something for people to look forward to. 
there would have been obviously negatives and negative economic impact on Augusta because you don't have the spectators. I get all that. There's no perfect scenario here, but we all choose to automatically cancel everything at the drop of a hat. I've talked about this previously. It's cancellation nation. And this is I've seen this happening now for the last several years where the standards for canceling anything have gotten much, much lower. And in this case, it was all about the lack of political capital and golf. Getting back to the smoking gun gun concept here to me was the ultimate smoking gun. The commissioner of the PJ Tour, Jay Monahan holds a press conference the day after he had previously said, we're going forward. And then that night he says, yeah, never mind. We're, we're, we're out like everybody else. We're going to cancel not just this event, but the next several events up until the Masters. Gee, thank you, Masters. I'm sure the Masters were like, boy, that, that really put us in a tough spot. So you're going to cancel all the events up to us. So basically, we don't have a fig leaf of political cover here. So we're going to have to cancel too. So Jay Monahan does a press conference explaining without you know having any facts or data uh, to, to back up why he changed his mind. Uh, but at the very end of the press conference, he makes a special point of, of urging golfers to keep golfing. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait. What? What? Hold on. You cannot be serious. Wait, so, so, so you just said, you just said that PGA Tour golfers cannot play even without spectators. Now, I realize... There's the TV crew, and there's other people involved. There, you know, there's hundreds rather than thousands of thousands, but there's hundreds of people involved. It's much more involved than a bunch of buddies getting together and playing golf by themselves. I get that, but it's not dramatically different, especially when you got the, the resources to make sure everybody's tested, okay? So, so the idea that somehow, uh, which I agree with, that we should all continue to go play golf and support our local clubs – uh, that, that somehow uh, this makes any goddamn sense with what you just did. To me, that was the smoking gun that this was bullshit, that this was political PR ass-covering bullshit. But it had a major impact because when the PGA Tour did that, guess what happened to all local tournaments? Gone. Gone. I had one I was supposed to play on Tuesday. Gone. Uh, local clubs barely open. Now, my local club, which has been saying all along, we're open for business. Come on out. It, this is the best place to be. Golf is a great sport to get away from the insanity. All this. All of a sudden, now we're shutting almost everything down. Everything but the golf course during a certain period of time or during the day. No guests. No, you know, I'm not even sure they're going to have carts. I mean, it's, it's essentially closed without 100% closing. What changed? Nothing changed except the loss of political cover. That's all it is. And it's causing enormous damage. It's causing enormous damage psychologically. It's causing enormous damage psychologically. I mean, from an economic standpoint, there's a domino effect here. We're seeing it all over the place. I'm just using golf as an example. I mean, speaking of golf, you know, the dominoes of the NCAA thing and I believe they dramatically overreacted here, canceling all, not just the NCAA basketball tournament, but all of their spring sports too. So, you know, at the club where I'm a member, north of, of Los Angeles, Pepperdine University 
uses the course as one, I believe, their home course. It's one of their main home courses. They were the number one ranked team in the country, which is highly unusual for Pepperdine. This was a dream situation for them. They, they were they were the favorites to win a national championship. Now, overnight, gone. Gone. No chance for that ever to happen again. That's not something that can be recaptured. And, and, and when it comes to cancellations, this is a part uh, of the whole equation that bothers me the most. We have completely lost any, any concept of the idea that some events cannot be rescheduled or recaptured. They are once-in-a-lifetime situations that are gone forever. And this is obviously the case when it comes to high school and college situations. Uh, you know Matt Lauer's son, man. I've been I'm very close touch with because of his eventual telling of his version of the story, which I'll get to later on in the podcast involving uh, Ronan Farrow's book against him. Uh, he uh, his basketball team got to I think the semifinals of of his state tournament. Once in a, he's a senior, once in a lifetime shot of a state title, gone, canceled, done, career over. All spring sports in in uh, high school now, almost across the country, gone. I've got a, a nephew who's a Paul Volter, a senior, been working his ass off, being recruited by colleges. Uh, now his senior uh, spring season, gone, gone, cannot be recovered, can never happen again. Pole vaulting? Pole vaulting is more social distancing than golf, for God's sake. I, I mean, it, the, it is, it, the, but it's all about. Well, we can't be seen doing anything that's fun because then we're bad people. We must all do penance now so that this, so we can prove to everyone how against the virus we are. No, you want to be against the virus? Wash your goddamn hands. Uh, stay at home whenever uh, possible. Uh, don't interact with people. Uh, use common sense. Uh, um, you know, the, the, it is obvious what we can do to minimize our risk but guess what there is risk in life i'm sorry there's risk in life and by the way i'm fully on board that this is gonna not that i want this but i wear i'm aware i accept this is gonna get really bad this is gonna get really bad largely because of perception our perceptions and our perspective is now completely off but in the next couple of weeks in america this is gonna get really bad we're going to, it's going to be not hopefully as bad as Italy, but numbers wise, it's going to be in that realm. Thousands of people are going to die. I don't know how many, many thousands are going to be hospitalized. I don't know how many, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the worst projections. Uh, and that's bad, but, uh, you know, we've had this kind of thing happen before. It's not a perfect analogy, but the swine flu, 2009, 2010, 12,500 people died. 60 million people got it. 275,000 people were hospitalized. It, based upon what's happening elsewhere in the world and based upon what we currently know, and part of the problem is we don't have nearly enough reliable data. It's incredibly frustrating as a statistics guy, but we don't, you know, it's trying to do an algebraic equation when you don't, when you're trying to solve for both X and Y. Uh, I mean, it's almost impossible for a normal person to be able to do it because you don't have reliable data. We don't have enough testing yet to be able to know how many people have this thing. And so there's all these wild 
speculative uh, suggestions about how many people have it. Well, until you don't know, until you know how many people have it, you don't know what the death rate is. You don't know what the hospitalization rate is. You don't know how how uh, dangerous it is. You don't know how easy it is for other people to get. And there's all sorts of conflicting information. But you know, based upon my my gut and having researched this as much as I possibly can, and looking at the confidence of of not just Donald Trump, who I loathe, but the people around him. I would be really shocked if by the end of this, the numbers we see in America are as bad as what happened with the swine flu. Now, there's a, there is a big difference in that the swine flu took a much longer period of time to hit, and I get the whole concept of reducing uh, the, the uh, threat to the system being overwhelmed and flattening the curve. I get, I get all that. But if you're trying to come up with some objective way uh, of, an, of analyzing this, the swine flu is a, is a pretty fair standard of the ultimate bottom line damage. And I would be surprised if we got there and during the swine flu situation, no one cared. Not that no one cared. I mean, there was almost no media coverage. There, there was no major cancellations. And, and, and look, if there are situations where cancellations have to happen, uh, you know, I get it. I understand basketball. Basketball is obviously a sport where you don't keep your, your social distance. You're literally sweating all over each other. Hockey somewhat similarly. Uh, and so I, I get it. So even playing without spectators there, I can understand maybe you, you don't do that. Uh, you know, I, I would I would hope that we would have a threshold that in the area where a contest was playing, like in a high school situation, if there's nobody with the goddamn virus, that you can go ahead and play a once-in-a-lifetime game. Uh, um, but I, I realize we're now in a PC world where that can't happen. By the way, speaking of PC, one of the things that's really been startling and disturbing to me, and I – I'm probably the only one in America that's disturbed by this, is that we've had all of these college and high school cancellations, uh, schools being shut down, uh, graduations already being canceled, uh, you know, school sports being canceled months in advance, all of this, all these once-in-a-lifetime moments being ripped away from people who have worked their asses off and devoted much of their lives to this. And I have seen almost no blowback from young people no protest no objections that's how unbelievably wussified young people have become what young people th this generation is such a bunch of freaking wussies they are so afraid to object to anything it, it's scary to me if they're not willing to if no one's even willing to say hey this sucks i'm not asking for you know riots in the streets just say just have the guts to say you know what this sucks, and you know, I'm not sure I agree with it. That's all I'm asking for. No one is willing to even say that because they will get run over because it's not in their DNA among young people. It is not in the DNA of young people to object to anything that is perceived as politically correct. Oh, I don't want to be on the politically incorrect side. I don't want to be against the virtue signalers. People will, be, will think I'm a bad person. I'll get run over, and we're seeing the same thing in the news media. Oh, my God. I have always said the media is a bunch of wussies because all they care about is protecting their gigs, their jobs. That's all they care about. And this is one of those situations where you can lose your job, right? I mean, that, this is, that everyone knows it. Everyone in the media knows that the first person that says, maybe we're overreacting here, is going to get fired. They're, they're going to get fired. They all know it. And so the media is as wussified uh, as anybody on this, including the golf media. Oh, my God. The golf media, oh, the applause, oh, oh, 
so brave, so wise, so smart. Oh, 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 wow. You guys did such a great job canceling your event after doing the first round of the Players' Championship and a, a month in advance canceling the Masters. That was so brave and so wise. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, let, 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 me, let, me, let me throw another narrative at you. Let me throw another narrative at you. Golf had an opportunity to be the fucking sport. The fucking sport. It had a, golf is a dying sport that had a chance to have a massive void where it would be the only thing for people to watch because it happens to be the sport that is most conducive to social distancing and you fucking blew it. You fucking blew it. You decided because you were afraid of being called, oh, you're out of touch. Oh, oh my gosh. Golf is elitist. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, pearl clutching. God, they're playing golf and it's on television. This is outrageous. They're in favor of the virus. They're in favor of Donald Trump. Kill them. Oh my God. Bless FIBA. I, so, but this gets applauded now. The, the worst decision that has ever been made from a PR stamp, from a from a standpoint of uh, now. Look, I'm not naive. I realize golf would have gotten criticized, but if they had done it properly, if they had you know even taken a couple of weeks off, said we're going to get all the caddies tested, all the players tested, the volunteers tested, and we're going to play golf, and it's going to be on TV. And guess what? You're going to have something to watch. It would have been freaking huge. It would have been. Freaking humongous. The TV ratings for the Masters would have been off the freaking charts because there is nothing else going on. And there's, an, there's a benefit. There, there, there's a benefit for these things to go on from a morale standpoint. But there's also, I can't stand this idea, that somehow there's no net negative. There, there's a negative here from a, the standpoint of creating a panic that people don't believe that things are under control because they've never seen March Madness cancel before. They've never seen the Masters cancel before. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm referring to the Masters being canceled because you can't do the Masters anytime else than April. It, if you call, if you could do it, you can do it in October, but it ain't the fucking Masters. All right, you can do Christmas in July, it ain't fucking Christmas. All right, so so the Masters has been canceled. Don't give me this bullshit that it's been postponed, and that's under best case scenarios. There is no Masters this year. You might want to call it that. It's going to happen if it happens. It'll happen at Augusta National, but it's not the fucking Masters. And so the the reality is, we've just decided there's there's no net negative. You know, it's not sending a signal. It's absolutely sending a signal. It's sending a signal to the rest of the world that this is reason to panic, to shut down the rest of life. It has a domino effect on the rest of golf. I had a golf tournament canceled this week myself. Uh, the, the restrictions at our, our, our club are, are increasing on a daily basis. It, it, this is happening throughout the world, and it's not just golf. I'm just using that as an example because that's the world I'm most involved in. But it's everywhere. And the economic impact of this is enormous on all sorts of people. Uh, Kevin, our producer, is feeling it because of cancellations all over the country. And it's just going to get worse and worse. I mean, the, the economic impact uh, it, for, for the loss of these events is going to be catastrophic. It's going to cause us to go into a recession, if not worse. And some of this, I understand, is unavoidable. But we have lost all perspective 
lost all perspective. And of course, I'm sure there will be people. Oh, Ziegler's saying this is a this is a big nothing. No, this is not a big nothing. This is called life. All right, this is what used to be the horrors of life. And you know what's amazing about it? This is and goes back to this uh, theme of the wussified media and how they play into this. The only person I have seen who even raised the issue of. By the way, folks, this is the way life works, is Bill Maher, of all people. Bill Maher and his HBO show, which ironically enough, just got shut down because of the coronavirus. So, so, so even Bill Maher has now been shut down because of the coronavirus. But he was the first person, the only one I've seen, because he got criticized for it, because no one else is going to follow that then, because you might get crushed in this cancel culture of ours. But uh, Bill Maher said, you know what? People die. That's part of life. And uh, sometimes a lot of people die. Now, is that a good thing? No. Do you try everything you can to avoid it? Yes. But do you shut down all of life, even when it's not net? See, that the part of this is there are things that aren't going to do anything to help stop the coronavirus. They're done simply for show, like canceling the Masters. I mean, you could, you could do a golf tournament without spectators. It would do zero zero to facilitate the spread of the virus zero but it would look bad because you're not allowed to oh my gosh you're in defiance of the of the edict that all life must stop because if you don't stop life you're in favor of the virus Bless fever. that's that's where we are and you know what this this is this is part of why this is upsetting me is not just because you know the one thing you could count on in life was that the masters would be the second weekend in april every year i mean there's not many things you can count on in life but that was one of the things you could always count on second weekend in april augusta national the masters something to look forward to it was there it was, you could not shake it it was going to be there ever since world war ii every single year it was going to be there until now but what about the future that's the part that scares the living shit out of me. This is not a one-shot situation now. By the way, how do we know when this is over? Now that we shut everything down, how do you go back to normal? Because the same wussification that started this is going to be present trying to get back. Because no one's going to have the balls to be the first to go back. It should be golf. It should be golf because of the nature of the sport. But it probably won't be because golf is, a, is, is run by a bunch of frickin' wussies because they're mostly white conservatives who are terrified of the, the, the mob uh, going after them for being you know, perceived as pro-Trump or whatever the hell it is. Oh, these are rich white con male conservatives and you know, they, they're, they don't care. They're elitist. What about the rest of us who are suffering? So I don't I don't have any faith in golf anymore. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, I would have had faith in Augusta National to say, you know what, go fuck yourselves. We're going to do what we want. Uh, we're going to do what we think is right. Uh, you know, when it came to, um, you know, the whole issue of whether or not women are going to be uh, allowed to be members, uh, we're not going to uh, do this. At the, and they even said this. We're not going to do, we'll do it on our timetable. We're not going to do this uh, because of a pitchfork. Uh, you know, and they eventually did it. They even had a tournament one year with no commercials because of the controversy over not having female members. And then eventually they, you know, they had Condoleezza Rice and a couple other female members, and they handled that controversy exactly right. Well, it's a new generation now. Everybody's wussified. Even Augusta National is wussified. And uh, so what happens in the future? So 
how does this get back to normal now that we've set these new rules? Because this is never going to end. The, the coronavirus is going to be in existence for maybe years. I mean, my, my best guess is the next couple of weeks in America are going to suck horrendously. Then the numbers will go down over the next couple of weeks after that. Within eight weeks, we should be in a rational world out of the woods. But there's still going to be coronavirus in existence. So now do we have to stop everything until it's completely eradicated? Is that the standard? Is it the standard? Will somebody please tell me that's the standard? And I, I had this conversation with the principal at my, uh, my daughter's school. And, you know, they, they actually, I'm sure it wasn't because of me, uh, but they actually took my advice. Because I, I knew, you know, like everyone else did, a week or so before they closed the schools, which is starting on Monday, that they were going to close the schools. I said to the principal, can you please, when you close the school, because that's what you're going to do, even though it doesn't make much sense, but okay, you're going to close the school. Can you please give an end date? An end date is incredibly important because it changes the burden. The burden, when you get to that end date, is okay, we have reason to keep the school closed. We're going to give you a new end date. I'm fine with that. But when you don't have an end date, now the burden is why now? Why, why are you going to do it now? What has changed from yesterday? Yesterday you were not open. Today you're going to open? Why? Coronavirus still exists. So with my daughter's school, they have said, which is I think almost hilarious, that they're going to be closed for one week. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, there, there's, But okay, fine. I'm fine with that. Going week by week at least gives you the option of saying, you know what? We think things have calmed down enough. We're going to go ahead with our previous plan, which we already announced, that we're going to go to school next week. Now, it's not going to be one week. I can guarantee freaking you that. There's, it's going to be at least three or four weeks. Uh, you know, probably longer because their spring break is, is the middle of April. So, you know, my, my daughter's probably not going to go to school. I'll be, I'll be pleasantly surprised if she's back in school by the end of April. So that would be like four or five weeks from now, which is going to be hell. I mean, not, I mean, I love spending time with her, but there's nothing to do. That's the problem. There, there, I mean, I mean, we don't even have Disneyland because Disneyland, I mean, if Disneyland, if Disneyland had been open, although it's spring break, so we're blocked out from our passes most of that time anyway. But if Disneyland had been open, at least we would have something to do. There's not, we thank God for Netflix. We, we, we actually broke down and got Netflix oh, because of this. So, so, so that's the one benefit of the coronavirus. But I mean, my God. We are going to kill each other. I mean, we are going to, we are, I mean, my wife just had a, a, a surgery for a broken arm didn't, that didn't heal properly. That's a freaking disaster. She's in enormous pain. Grace is going to be home for, for several weeks. Uh, you know, no, no sports on television, no masters to look forward to. My golf club's probably going to close down completely at any moment. I mean, this is, this is as bad as it gets for the Ziegler family. I mean, this is, if we, I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not, my wife stored up on uh, provisions weeks ago, and she's very proud of herself. I have not stored up on nearly enough alcohol to get me through the next month because uh, it is going to be freaking horrendous, especially over the next couple of weeks because the media freakout hasn't even begun. The media freakout over the next couple of weeks is going to get far worse. Far worse because the numbers are going to finally start to come in about how many people really have this, how many people are hospitalized, how the death toll is going to go up. I mean, right now in America, approximately 50 people have died from this. 
which should not even be on the radar as far as uh, medical emergencies are concerned. But that number is going to go way up. How much? I don't know. In, in China, it looks to me where this whole thing originated, obviously the most populous country in the world by far, it looks to me as if they're going to probably end up with less than 5,000 deaths at the end of this thing. Now, that that's significant. And yes, they took draconian measures to keep it at 5,000. But that's the the area where it started. They had by far the, 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 the worst situation because they didn't even know it was in existence until it got it was a wildfire and they're they're incredibly uh, populated and there's all sorts of reasons why it would be worse there than it might be here i am still hopeful hopeful not confident hopeful that uh the united states canada mexico have these uh, two things called the atlantic ocean and the pacific ocean that other countries do not have to at least mitigate uh, the spread of this virus here. Uh, now, you know, Ohio is claiming they got 100,000 people with this thing already. I find that incomprehensible based upon all the other statistics we're seeing. Almost all the deaths here are in Washington State because uh, of, a, of a nursing home that got hit. Uh, New York is being hit hard. Uh, you know, here in California, it's oddly spread all over the place, bits and pieces of, of reports of people with the coronavirus. Um, but, you know, the death toll so far, thankfully, has not been that bad. It's not going to take much for the media to go crazy once that number starts to go up uh, anything more than incrementally because we've seen what happened in Italy. Everyone's saying we're tracking Italy. We're just like Italy. I think there could be some differences between us and Italy. But because Italy is a, a Western nation, a nation that obviously we have respect for, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, are freaked out because of what's happened in Italy. Understandably so. It's, it's really bad in Italy. Uh, almost 2,000 people have died there. Uh, again, I go back to, okay, there's life. This is part of life, unfortunately. People die. Are we going to give up our entire way of living? to prevent death at all costs. Because if we are, and I have jokingly uh, declared that I was in favor of this on Twitter uh, yesterday, and I got absolutely killed for it, hilariously so, if we are really going to do everything we possibly can to prevent uh, deaths that uh, are anticipated, then why the hell, why the hell do we allow automobile travel? Why have we not banned cars? Because if we did, tomorrow we would save 100 people a day in the United States of America. Because 100 people a day in this country die, many more are badly injured, because of car accidents. My mother was killed in a car accident in 1994. So I, I guess I have uh, PC protection here. I, I'm, allowed to, I'm allowed to make this case because I've suffered like many, many people have because of car accidents. So... 35, 40,000 people in America die every year because of car accidents. We could stop that if we wanted to tomorrow by banning car travel. I came out in favor of that, and, you know, some people thought it was humorous. Uh, other people got all in a tizzy because they were suggesting uh, that some— uh, The reason why they got all in a tizzy is because that's an analogy you cannot defeat. You can try to pretend that it's not the same thing as a virus because a virus, uh, you know, is contagious. That's not the point. The not it's not the analogy is not an automobile accident to the coronavirus. The analogy is what are we willing to do? 
What cost are we willing to pay in order to avoid uh, deaths that are anticipated? I mean, in this case, we know. I mean, it's almost like clockwork. About 100 people a day will die because we have chosen that we are willing to accept that death rate because life without cars would be too difficult. It would cause too much pain economically, psychologically, our quality of life, what have you. And by the way, you know what? I'm okay with that. I, I think that's a rational choice. But it's a choice. It's a choice we don't like to, you know, we like to pretend that we didn't make it. We like to pretend that we're not making that choice. We have all made that choice because the media doesn't emphasize that every year or every day 100 people die and every year, you know, 35, 40,000 people die. Because it's not a news story most of the time when someone dies in a car accident. Just like it's not a news story when someone dies of the flu. But now suddenly it's a news story when someone dies of coronavirus. Even though far fewer people are likely to die worldwide and in this country than in any recent flu epidemic, including the swine flu in 2009-2010. So on what standard, by what standard are we deciding we're shutting everything down? I get the rationale. I get flattening the curve. I get not wanting to overwhelm the healthcare system. I get all that. I just think we have gone too far in a way that is creating dangerous precedents for the future. Not just how do we get back to normal, but what happens next time? What's the rationale next time? I mean, my God, you could argue you could argue if, if our point is to save lives at all costs, then why are we ever having events during the winter time, during flu season? I mean, if we wanted to stop the flu, if we want next year, right, the regular common flu, if we wanted to stop the flu from killing forty to 50,000 Americans a year, which it does, if we wanted to do that, we could. We could shut down all public interaction. And guess what? The flu would not cause nearly as many deaths next year. I don't know what the number is. I have no idea. But that number of 40,000, 50,000, which is average, could come down dramatically if we decided, you know what? Social distancing this winter. No, no basketball games, no hockey games. For, you know, we're going to cancel everything that happens during the wintertime. You know, and uh, so, so no social interaction until the, the late spring. Uh, if we did that, we would save lives. So why won't we will be willing to do that? Well, by the way, we might. It all kind of depends on what the, the media political circumstances are, whether or not something catches fire. And this one caught fire for a lot of reasons, partially because it's very real, very dangerous. I get this is more dangerous than the regular flu. We don't know how much more dangerous, but it is absolutely, based upon the current factual record, more dangerous than the current flu on an individual basis. We don't know because we don't have all, all the facts. We don't have enough data. We don't have reliable data, and every country seems to be doing this differently, and that's partially why the data doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, what, are we, what are we willing to do? What are we going to be willing to do in the future? And, and it, 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 it is, to me, one of the more dangerous aspects of this. We have just created the blueprint for how any of our enemies, a terrorist group or just Russia, whatever, if they want to shut us down, we just told them how to shut us down. We just gave them the blueprint. It's really pretty easy. It doesn't even take that many deaths. 
It just has to be in the, the right time and the right circumstances, and the media has to be uh, willing and able to let it catch fire. I'm not suggesting this is all a media creation. I'm suggesting that we are now denying the realities of life in a way that is putting our actual way of life in peril because life has risks. Everything we do in life has risks. And to deny that is incredibly dangerous because we cannot exist if we are not able or willing to endure some level of risk. That's my great fear. Where is this all headed? I mean, the first fear is the next few weeks are going to suck. It's going to be terrible. I think there's a possibility that as these numbers go up and people's nerves get frayed and they're already there before this has really even started, that uh, we're going to see uh, social decay, unrest. I mean, we're hanging by a thread from a cultural standpoint with nothing to distract us thanks to everything being canceled. No, no sports to distract us which I do think is a significant part of why these events should not have been canceled as easily as they, as they would have been normally because they, they perform an important function in keeping society together. We are going to be heading towards very dangerous times in the next couple of weeks in this country. We're going to have a pissed-off, restless, fearful populace with nothing to do with the kids at home, unable to even get rations at the grocery store, I mean, my gosh, even just yesterday, you know, to, to show this into the real world, we have an elderly neighbor. An elderly neighbor was didn't stack up on, on rations like we had and uh, was afraid to go to the grocery store, one, because it was packed, and two, because they wouldn't have anything. And so she actually asked my wife whether or not uh, we could go get her some, some milk and bananas. Um now, uh, we happen to have a lot of milk and bananas, so uh, we sold it to her at a, in, a, in a pretty good profit. Um, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't price gouge her. <laughs> we, we actually we, we went to a store that wasn't as crowded, and we got her some milk, and we gave her some of our bananas. But, I mean, this is, this is before this has even really started. That's the point. We're already at the point where old people are afraid to go out and get food. And, uh, and I mean, we're, this could be lasting for months. If we're already here now, God help us in a month or two. Uh, we, th this thing has peril written all over it, and what pisses me off is most of the peril is self-induced. Most of the economic harm is self-induced, and some of it is being driven subconsciously by the fact that Trump is president. I get into that in the Individual One podcast, which I hope you'll take a listen to. Uh, and uh, so I won't go into that uh, kind of detail on the world according to Zig. Uh, but uh, I, am, I am very frightened about where we're headed. And the coronavirus is only a, a part of that. I, I think the coronavirus is, is potentially going to, to bring out the worst in everybody. And it's setting new rules and precedents for the future that are incredibly dangerous. Now, a couple other stories I do want to mention before I run out of time. Uh, I did reference earlier Matt Lauer. And, boy, one of the things that this coronavirus has done, 
uh, is caused me a lot of problems with regard to uh, getting anything done with regard to the stories that I have been most focused on over the last several years. I've been promising for months that Matt Lauer was finally going to have an extensive, extraordinarily extensive response to Ronan Farrow's book, uh, Catch and Kill. Now, uh, there's been a, several developments on that front. Number one, unbelievably, unbelievably, Ronan Farrow somehow with one tweet was able to get the book of his father, or at least alleged father, Woody Allen, killed by his own publisher. Woody Allen was signed to do a book by Hatchet Publishing, which happens to be the publishing company that, that published Catch and Kill. Ronan Farrow found out about it, has a, had a tizzy fit, and in one tweet got the people at Hatchet to walk out of their jobs in protest. And Hatchet, of course, caved because everyone caves in this day and age. No one ever stands up for anything. I, I knew immediately this was going to be the result. I knew they were going to cave. Uh, Matt Lauer and I actually had a disagreement over this. Matt did not think they were going to cave. And I said, no, Matt, this thing is done. Uh, the, the, there's no way Hatchet stands up. And they, they caved and killed Woody Allen's book deal. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You cannot be serious. I mean, Woody Allen was never arrested for anything involving the allegation of uh, sex abuse against Ronan Farrow's stepsister back when Ronan Farrow was, I think, four years old. I think she was seven years old. This happened right in the middle of a brutal divorce and custody battle with Mia Farrow. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not a, a Woody Allen. I like some of his movies, but I, I'm not even a defender of Woody Allen other than to say there's a pretty good argument he's innocent. There's no evidence. He was never even arrested. There's a motivation for why there would be a false story. But the bigger part of this is it illustrates what I keep saying about Ronan Farrow. How the living hell did Ronan Farrow become the arbiter of truth in the realm of sexual abuse when it, it, it completely clouds his vision on everything? This issue is at the heart of his entire life narrative. His name is Farrow. Not Alan, because he took his mother's name. He believes that his father sexually abused his sister, even if that was true, which I don't believe it is. It should disqualify him from being the arbiter of truth on sexual abuse because that is a traumatic experience that would negatively impact anyone's ability to be objective. That's just human nature. I mean, that is a horrendous situation. I mean, divorce in itself is horrendous. But under these circumstances, it's really horrific. And, and Ronan Farrow was only four years old. So he ha is emotionally invested, as anyone can be, in this entire issue. And so, therefore, he is the last person that should be the arbiter of truth on sexual abuse. For, and, and that's not the only reason why he shouldn't be the arbiter of truth. He also is a terrible reporter, which is part of why NBC didn't go with his Harvey Weinstein reporting back just before the Me Too thing all exploded. The story wasn't ready yet, and I'm still not positive how accurate it was. you got to remember, Weinstein, despite all this negative publicity around him, was, was found not guilty on the three worst allegations against him in a verdict that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I'm no fan of Harvey Weinstein. I'm not saying he's innocent. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying it's, it's not as if the jury came back and said, guilty on all counts, hell yeah. It certainly seemed as if it was a compromise verdict because they knew there were going to be riots if they didn't put Harvey Weinstein in, in jail. But what's also interesting, and I, I can't get into too many details, but boy, oh boy, this coronavirus thing is happening at a very fortuitous time for Ronan Farrow. Because not only is it 
delaying further uh, Matt Lauer's response to his book. Uh, but um, how do I put this? Um, there are two major, major media outlets who I have strong reason to believe are investigating Ronan Farrow's book, having nothing directly to do with Matt Lauer, for blatant inaccuracies. Blatant inaccuracies. Things that, that any rational person would look at and go, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, for instance, the fact that uh, Ronan Farrow reported in his book that the National Enquirer, when Donald Trump got elected, destroyed the contents of their safe of, of uh, compromising information on Donald Trump. Now, when I heard that, I immediately said to myself, It's just flat out ridiculous. Hold on a second. So Trump just became the most powerful man in the world, and you, the National Enquirer, a terrorist organization, is going to destroy your leverage over him? Really? Really? You really believe that, Ronan Farrow? You cannot be serious! And by the way, even if that was somehow true, which I don't believe it was, um, who's the source on that? If that actually happened, two people would know about it. Two people. Who's going to tell Ronan Farrow that? That makes no fucking sense. And then there's this whole issue of whether or not uh, these Mossad agents were out to kill him, which he alleges. Because he, he's, he's big into the conspiracy. He believes he's so important that people are out to kill him, which my response has always been, then why the fuck didn't Harvey Weinstein kill him before that first story came out? Why was he allowed to live if Harvey Weinstein was willing and able to kill people? And by the way, holy hypocrisy on Ronan Farrow to use Harvey Weinstein bullying tactics to kill Woody Allen's book. But that's a, a totally different element of this in incredible fiasco. But uh, I, I am under a strong belief that uh, that major media outlets are on this. Now, I don't have any confidence that they will actually end up reporting it, partially because everyone's so obsessed now with the coronavirus. And so it is incredibly frustrating and shows just how difficult it is to go up against any of these stories, and especially once someone becomes this, this almost holier-than-now figure, this godlike, king-like figure, Ronan Farrow, who can kill the book of a, a cultural icon like Woody Allen with one freaking tweet. Uh, this man is a dangerous man with far too much power. And I don't know whether or not uh, the truth's ever going to come out about him, but I know it exists, and I know people are working on it. And I don't know uh, when we're going to finally hear from Matt Lauer, but eventually we will. I have no idea what impact it, it will have. It's probably too late at this point for it to have major impact, but it's an important story. It's a very important story because Ronan Farrow is a dangerous, dangerous man. Uh, and uh, and his cultural impact is enormous, and he does he is not qualified for the power that that the media and society have given to him. And the facts are going to show that hopefully uh, sometime, uh, and who knows, in the next month or two, if this uh, coronavirus uh, story ever dies down. Uh, similarly, I have told you previously that one of the reasons why this podcast is in a state of flux or in limbo is because we've been trying to figure out what, if anything, we can do on the whole Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky story. There have, have been uh, talks and even a pilot that has been uh, both taped and shot with a co-host for an extensive podcast on the entire saga. Uh, however, that's been delayed because there has been a belief 
among many people, not me, <laughs> but among several people who are legitimate people here in Los Angeles, that a television docu-series can be made about this and that the podcast should be held to be done in conjunction with the docu-series. I do not believe that that is realistic based upon the politics of the situation, but you know, I'm not really in charge and I'm willing to do whatever I can to try to help something get done here. I have referenced that we've had this meeting with a major production company that was uh, scheduled and then rescheduled and then scheduled and rescheduled several times. We finally had the meeting. And the, maybe the most remarkable element of this meeting, and I can't tell you who it was with, but if you had told me a few years ago that five reputable, credible people, including myself, if, I'm, if I can consider myself reputable and credible, maybe four reputable and credible people and me, would go into a major, major uh, producer uh, of content. I mean, you would know this name of this company if I told it to you, uh, that we would go in and meet with the head of their television production to pitch a docu-series arguing, among other things, that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. I, I would have told you you were fucking crazy. There was no way of that ever happening. And if it ever did happen, that we were taken seriously. Well, the meeting finally did happen. I hauled ass to get back from seeing my, my father in Arizona on a quick uh, golf trip. I, I made the meeting by like eight minutes after it had been rescheduled three or four times. And, uh, you know, we did our pitch and the pitch went really well and they were very polite. Um, but it's, you know, when you do these pitches and I've done several of them, it, it's a lot like sex where if you have to ask whether or not the other side orgasmed, they didn't orgasm. Uh, and so, um, you know, that was my perception afterwards that uh, they liked it. It was fine. Um, it was interesting, uh, but there was no orgasm. Uh, and there was never going to be an orgasm because this one is just too much to, to, to absorb in, in, a, in an hour. You basically get an hour at a major company to do this kind of thing. Um, and I'm sure they, you know, can, will consider this, but, but immediately after this meeting, the whole world breaks loose on coronavirus. So this isn't even on anyone's radar. Everything's basically shutting down now. And so our timing could not have been worse, which has been consistent with the, the bad luck on this thing from day one. I mean, the perfect storm continues. One, moment after moment after moment, time after time, every time you think you might get a break, uh, something bad happens. And it just never ends. And so I have no idea where, if anything, this is going or when any place this is going, uh, but we'll keep you updated. As I promised or, or warned, uh, the Framing Paterno website homepage is currently silent. I don't know how much longer that will be the case, uh, but that's why it is silent. There, there was some speculation on the Penn State fan pages that John Ziegler had finally given up. I'm like, God, you freaking morons. Uh, no, I, I told you, I told you that this was because I'd been asked by one of the people who were planning on producing this to, to shut that down so that, uh, you know, they wouldn't have access to all the content and that we would be able to control our own narrative. I don't know if I agree with that, but I was willing to play ball because at this point, when you put eight years into something and, and you've dug the hole this deep, you, just, you keep digging because you got to have some hope that somehow, some way this can be salvaged. Uh, I'm not an optimist, but I'll keep trying because that's who I am. That'll do it for this edition of the World According to Zig podcast, as is always the case. 
Uh, please, only, I ask only two things of you. Number one, please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. Uh, number two, uh, if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. I guess I'll also add, please be careful with the coronavirus, but try to live a normal life. We can't give up our way of life. This It's too important, uh, and uh, hopefully we're going to get through this. It's going to be ugly, but uh, hopefully by the next time I speak to you when, uh, via this podcast, I don't know when that will be, things will be better than they currently are. But who knows? Well, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Uh, thanks so much for listening. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.